Are you ready to dive into the powerful truth the Kingdom of Heaven has for us? Let's join our host, Ruth Hendrickson, for Real Truth with Ruth as we dive into the Word of God. Hey everyone, we're going to have a great time today as we talk about the power of God's grace. Here's the question, how much grace do you extend to others? How much grace do you want extended to you? You see, when we walk in grace, it enables us to carry the weight of our own imperfections. How does this happen? Well, because if we are walking with Jesus, then we know that we're forgiven. When we know that we're forgiven, it's also easier to accept the imperfections in others. And therefore, it makes it easier or even possible to extend grace to them. So before we dive into all of that, again, welcome everyone. My name is Ruth Hendrickson. I run RHM International Ministries. Just want to real quick invite you to go to the website. It is ruthhendrickson.org. You're going to find all sorts of resources, blogs, um, ways that you can connect with us, ways that you can grow in your walk with the Lord. And while you're there, join the family, sign up for the email list. We only send out one to two emails a week. I promise not to bombard you. But again, that website is ruthhendrickson.org. All right, back to grace, the power of grace. I always feel like you need to offer me grace as I do that intro each and every time. For those of you who listen all the time, thank you so much for your grace um, as I have to do that. So again, grace, how much grace do we extend to others and how much grace do we want extended to ourselves, right? So in Matthew 18, 21 to 35, we have the parable of the unforgiving debtor. And just because of time, I'm going to condense it. I'm going to give you Ruth's version of it. So my basis is out of the New Living Translation, but I'm going to really, um, really summarize it for you. So this whole parable actually comes as a response to a question that Peter asks. And it's really a great question. And I want you to know as he asks this question. It's actually a pretty famous question. Um, he thought he was being very generous. He thought that the, the way he was wording the question was really, really good. Okay. Have you ever asked the Lord a question that you think it's really a great question? He's like, oh no, you're not thinking large enough. Okay. That's where Peter's at right near now. So Peter goes and he's, he's saying, okay, Lord, um, how, how often do I need to forgive somebody or how, how many times is seven times enough? And I can guarantee you, he's, he thinks he's spot on. He thinks it's right because that went above and beyond the religious understanding or the expectation of the day. And yet Jesus's response to him is what? It's 70 times seven, right? Okay. So he massively, massively increases where Peter's sight is at. Okay. He takes it to a whole, whole nother level. And with that, Jesus introduces this parable that we're going to talk about today. And so he tells of a king who decides to call in all the outstanding debt. Okay, he's going to balance his books. He's going to bring all the accounts up to date. And there's this one guy who comes in who owes him a lot of money. In fact, the New Living Translation says millions. He owes him millions of dollars. But this guy, he doesn't have the money, he can't pay off the debt. And so what would happen in this culture is if somebody couldn't pay off their debt, if he couldn't pay off what he owed the king, then not only would he be sold into slavery, but his wife, his children would also be sold into slavery. So his entire immediate family would be sold into slavery and then all his possessions would be sold and they would use this to pay off the debt. Okay, so again, the man, his wife, 
his children, all into slavery. Everything he owns gets sold. That all goes into the king's treasury to pay off the debt. And what does the man do? Of course, he begs for mercy, right? Okay, he begs for mercy. And the king actually has pity on him or another way I'm going to say that because of what we're talking about is he extends grace. And what he does is he releases this guy from his debt. Okay. He is like this. He is released in a moment. He's released from millions of dollars of debt. Why? Because the man asked, basically, as he asked, the heart of the king was moved. He had compassion on me, a pity on him. He gave grace and released the debt. But there was something that didn't connect within this man, as Jesus tells the parable. And so this man goes out. He should be happy. He should be rejoicing. He should be um, overwhelmed by the generosity of the king, by the grace that's been extended, by the favor that he found in the eyes of the king. That he didn't just get more time to pay the debt. He was released from the debt. And yet what happens is he goes... And he runs into this guy who owes him a few thousand dollars. And the guy begs for mercy and the man refuses. And what does he do? He has him thrown in prison. In other words, the grace, the, the massive, the huge amount of grace that was extended to him by the king. He was not willing to extend that to somebody else. What we see here is our tendency for extending grace to another, our pride, and sometimes even our demand for justice actually supersedes or causes us to forget what God himself has done for us, the grace that we receive, the grace that we walk in, the extravagant of his forgiveness. To put it bluntly, pride keeps us from admitting our faults and causes us to fall short of God's grace. And therefore, we don't offer God's grace to the world around. You know, I want to just take a little side note here and say one of the things that is so prevalent right now in the culture, at least here in America, is you don't love me if you don't fully agree with me. Okay, that's not that's not correct biblical standards. We love the person because they're created in the image of God, whether or not they know it, but it doesn't mean that we love or condone the sin in their life. Okay, very, very important to separate that out as we talk about this. Okay, because we still we measure by God's standards. We never, ever, ever water down the word of God, the command of God, the law of God, the safety nets of God. You know, he, he gives us these laws and these guardrails to keep us on the path, to keep us focused on him, to keep us safe, to keep us directed on him. So never can we use grace to to go and make excuses that your know, behavior sin is OK. Very, very important concept here. So I wanted to enfold that in so that you're hearing this from the right spot, because we never, ever want to distort the word of God. We never want to water down the word of God. Okay. And sometimes this culture defines a word or phrase and action and expectation. What happens is we try to pull the culture into the word of God, therefore watering down the word of God, rather than bringing the word of God into the culture. Okay, which means we radically love people because they're created in the image of God, but we do not condone behavior that does not align with the word of God. Okay, period. That's that's all there is to it. Okay, back into what we're talking about today. Hebrews 12, 15 reminds us to see that no one comes short of the glory of God. Okay, no one, no one is to come short of the glory of God. There is a call 
for everyone to step into the glory of God. But you see, when we fall short of the glory of God, when we're not doing that, then what happens is this root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, right? Okay. And so with the original debtor in this in the parable that Jesus was talking about, the one who had owed millions, he fell short of the grace of God when he allowed a root of bitterness to take hold. The fruit of this, the fruit of that root of bitterness is the way that he treated the man who owned him thousands. You see, he effectively blamed the man for not being able to pay. And with that, he used it to justify his wrong action. And he can even use it to reconcile any twinge of guilt because he justifies a way based on his feelings, forgetting about the grace of God or the grace of the king that was offered to him. You see, if bitterness comes into our lives and remains unchecked, it will always result in trouble. So think about this. The man, again, was forgiven a massive debt, but he refused to pay that forward. To use a really popular term, he didn't pay it forward. He didn't forgive the man who owed him a much smaller debt than the one he had been forgiven. Now, if we go back, the king hears what's happened. You know, the rumors start flying and the king hears what has happened and he goes, And even though he'd forgiven the debt, he goes and he sends that man to prison. Not only does he send that man to prison, it doesn't say he sent his wife or his children. Jesus didn't include that part in his parable, in the story. The man was sent to prison, not just sent to prison, but the king said he was put in prison to be tortured until he paid his debt. You see, the truth is, if we're not experiencing and fully embracing the grace God has extended towards us, the grace he's extended towards you, then we're not going to give that grace to each to the to others, right? We're going to instead demand that they're perfect. In other words, we're not giving away what the Lord has so graciously and wonderfully and extravagantly given to us. We're operating. We want the fullness of grace in our own lives. But if pride, if bitterness, if if you know, some of these uh, justice judgmental things rise up within us and are not aligned with the word of God, the fullness of God, not tempered by what God has done for us, then we actually respond out of the wrong heart, out of the wrong attitude, which is what this man did. So what happens again is rather than giving grace to others, we demand perfection out of them. So I want to wrap this up because we're out of time, but Eddie Ransick makes a statement and he says, grace enables us to carry the weight of our own imperfections because we know that although we are imperfect, we are also forgiven. Admitting our imperfections makes it easier to accept the imperfections of others. In other words, it enables us to offer grace in the level, in the measure that grace has been extended to us. So back to the questions that I began with, how much grace you extend to others how are you doing with that with that grace are you are you extravagant with it are you are you functioning from from the understanding of how much grace god has extended to you which brings us to the next question how much grace has god extended to you it's amazing it's phenomenal it's large it's huge it's wider and deeper than we can ever know so how do we pass that on to the world around us. We model what the Lord did for us, but we always stay based. That foundation is always, always, always on the word of God. Always. So Heavenly Father, just come. 
Lord, thank you for your grace. We praise you for your grace. Thank you for all you have done for us. God, you're amazing. You're good. You're, oh, that you would love us so much. Oh, that you sent your only son, that you forgive our sins. In fact, you remove our sins as far as the east is from the west from us. We can't even touch them. We can't even touch them. That's, that's, you don't keep a record. You're not, you're not checking it off. You're not keeping another set of books up there. You take those sins and you say, you are forgiven. I want you to hear that right now. Some of you guys need to know right now, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. God's grace extends to you. Come, you are forgiven. And Lord, on the grace that you have so extravagantly poured out to us, Lord, let us extend it to others. Let us help others to see who you are. Let us radiate the very image of you as we go through life, extending that grace. Let them see us walking in the fullness, not as a hypocrite, but walking in the fullness and extending your grace and your mercy and your love to others. God, we love you so much. We just say thank you, thank you, thank you. We just worship you for who you are. Lord, thank you for that grace. God, we so don't deserve it, and yet you poured it out anyways. So, Lord, we just say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. I want to encourage you again, if this has blessed you, please share it. Please tell others about it. And the best way you can do that is when you go to share it, if you're using a platform where you could put a note on it, where you can attach something, go ahead and say, listen to this because, or this blessed me because I know it'll bless you. Go ahead and share it. We want people to know that there is hope that they have a future, that God is for them and not against them, that there is so much more to this life than what we can see, that we don't have to be wrapped up or, or sinking in the chaos and the confusion, or the sin, the guilt, the doubt. But God is a God of grace. He has wonderful plans and purposes for each one of us. And we want to see each one of us walk in it, but also those around us walk into who God's called them to be. It is good. It is possible. He is for you. He is not against you. So on that, have a great day. Be so blessed. And I'll see you next time. Hey, everyone. We're going to talk today about creation. I want to encourage you to hit share with this. We're going to talk about some statistics with how many, even within the body of Christ, believe in creation versus a number of other things such as evolution. We really want to take a look at this. Uh, I, I was really shocked by some of the numbers I saw and, and what's been going on within our culture. So it's, it's going to be interesting. And I know that there's going to be a little dissension in the ranks with what I'm saying. And you know what, that's okay. We just want to go back to the word of God, right? And so if you don't agree with me, go back to the word and test it out. Okay. That's our job always to go back to the word of God, go back to the word of God, go back to the word of God. And we do that no matter what our level of education is, no matter where we live, no matter even what our tradition says, what our religious tradition says, we have a responsibility to go back to the word of God. Amen. That's just what we do. We go back to the word of God. That's our plumb line. And so you know, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Glory, hallelujah, amen. In the beginning, right from the start, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, I had researched this quite a number of years ago, and there was a Gallup poll in 91 that found that some 90% of Americans believe that God created the world, either by... Um, 
you know, by, by just his voice or by direct national processes, but God was involved. Okay. That's basically what it was saying. Um, however, by 2019, that number falls to 40%. Quite the drop, isn't it? Quite the drop. Um, but if, if we study this further, what we find is that people are pretty hard pressed to give a reason for why they believe in creation or why they don't. Okay, so, so they don't really have a firm answer on that. And so then, you know, of course, all through our educational system, we find ourselves immersed in various theories, such, of course, as, you know, evolution, and there's a whole bunch of others, there's a number of others that have come out, you know, over the years. So, you know, we find these other, the, these other ideas, concepts, theories, that, um that pull God out because there is this thing, like if I acknowledge that God, if I acknowledge that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then I have to acknowledge that God has ultimate power. And so there's a lot of deception out there and we understand that. Um, So there's a lot of confusion that's, that's entering in. So again, from the very first verse of scripture, okay, Genesis one, one, we're confronted with in the beginning, God created. So that statement alone right there, in the beginning, God created, refutes, okay, here we go, refutes the atheist who says there is no God. They're faced with a biblical statement that says creation was the work of God. It refutes a polytheist who believes and worships many gods, because it says there's only one God. The pantheist who believes all nature is God. It says that God is apart from and independent of his creation. The evolutionist who seeks to explain life apart from God. It says that the universe was created and did not evolve. It refutes the materialist who believes that matter is eternal and not created. Because it says that matter is not eternal, but was created. And the existentialist, sorry, I'm not saying that right existentialist oh well or the fatalist who teaches that there's no divine plan behind creation history so all of these all of these come into place and this is taken from wilmington's bible handbook okay those those different those different accounts so the atheist the polytheist the pathiest the evolutionist the materialist and the existentialist you see, God was very purposeful in his design of creation. As we read on through Genesis, we see intent, we see order, we see purpose within each and every day of creation. And this tells us that God planned each and every step, that it wasn't done randomly. It was, there was intentionality. And for me, anyways, that I, I find that amazing, down to the last little detail that God was intentional. Um, and because when I look at that, I'm thinking, well, wow, if he was intentional with that, if, if he, one of my favorite birds is the woodpecker. Okay. And, uh, when I used to run, I would, uh, there was this woodpecker that I would always hear every single morning. And for me, it was always this, uh, you know, this might not, not make a lot of sense, but it was always this God's right here. Like God's that when I would hear that woodpecker, I would just be in amazement it was day after day after day, every morning. And I just, it, it just ministered to me. Okay. Um, I just loved it. One of my favorite animals is a fox. There was one day I was going out for a walk and there's this little baby kit. Okay. This little baby fox there under some, some forsythia, just like the, the perfect picture, but I didn't, I didn't have my phone with me or anything. And, and, um, 
you know, this, this little, you know, God, even down to the, the, you know, it was a red fox with this the white tip on its tail and, you know, down to all this beauty down to, let's make it personal, down to our skin color, our eye color, our hair color, our build. Okay, very, very intentional. So in a sense, we can hold it out here and we can look at creation and go, you know, the, the, the animals or the trees or, you know, whatever, and, and you'll know, keep it out there. But then we pull it in and go, wait, what about me? How intentional was God about me? Because I'm a result of creation. You're a result of creation. So again, if we don't believe that God created absolutely everything but himself, with no exceptions, then we can't believe that God's absolutely sovereign. That'll make you stop for a moment. If God's not absolutely sovereign, then we can't, then we don't really, or we can't really trust him with every aspect of our lives. Okay. Now, some of you are saying, but what if I don't believe in the Bible? You know, that what we're using to talk about creation is the very first verse of Genesis. And so if I don't, believe in the Bible, then you don't have a plumb line, then you don't have a standard for truth. You see, if, if we believe that scripture has the authority to speak over our lives, then we find that the God whose attributes are delineated on virtually every passage of the Bible is the creator, the absolute originator of everything. That's how Everett Harrison puts it. Let me, let me read that again. If we believe that scripture has the authority to speak into our lives, then we find that the God whose attributes are delineated on virtually every passage of the Bible is the creator, the absolute originator of everything. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 speaks to this further. If Paul goes and he says, for by him, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. So that means that, that this existence or the permanence of the universe rests on God. All things were created for him. All things were made by his power, according to his pleasure and for his glory, for his praise. In other words, it's God who holds everything together. Aren't you glad? I mean, think about that. Do you want to hold everything together? Sometimes we try, don't we? We're trying. I'm just trying to hold it all together. And yet God says, I, I got it. I, I can hold it all together. And I'm going to tell you something too. You're created in, in the image of God, which means when it feels like everything around you is falling apart, when you sink back and when you lean back into his presence, you'll be able to hold it all together because of who he is. You're created in his image. We walk hand in hand with him. He's the God who will never leave you for, or forsake you. He's the creator. He's got you. It is God who holds everything together. The prophet Ezra speaks to this in Nehemiah 9.6. He says, you are the Lord. You alone, you have made the heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and is all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You want to go deeper? Get out a microscope and get a slide with a cell. Take a look at the living cell. The sun, the moon, the trees, the flowers, the oceans and the rivers. 
See, when I look around, everywhere I look, I see the creative hand of God. As we come to grips with God, the creator of the universe, it also shows us the wisdom and the power of God. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture here, but I'll put it in the notes. So it shows us the wisdom and power of God. Job 28, 23 to 27. Proverbs 3.19. Shows us the glory of God. Psalm 19.1. The power and the Godhead. Romans 1, 18 to 21. His love for humankind. His love for you. Psalm 8, 3 to 9. God's provincial care. Hmm, so glad we have his care. Isaiah 40, 12. And then if we keep going, you know, in Psalm 139, 13, David declares, you, God, for my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. God speaks to Moses, actually speaks to him in Exodus 4, 11, and reminds Moses of who the creator is. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight? Or makes him blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Psalm 104, 14 and Matthew 6, 30, we find that God even makes the grass grow. In Matthew 6, 26, Jesus talks about the heavenly father feeding the birds. And in Psalm 104, 21 and 27 to 30, the psalmist speaks of God providing food for all the creatures of the forest. When we talk about humankind, you know, you and I, we find that Adam and Eve were created very different from the other forms of creation. God desired relationship. So one of the things we find um, in Wilmington's, again, in Wilmington's Bible handbook, they put it this way. Um, we see Adam and Eve as possessing highly developed linguistic, moral, and spiritual abilities from the moment they were created which separates the human race from every living creature that God created. You can just say right now, you can shout it out. There's something different about me because there is, you're created in the image of God. How cool is that? Okay. You know, finally we realize that there's nothing in the Bible that's really considered observed from a, scientific standpoint i mean you know science has been trying to disprove the word of god for years and eventually they end up proving the word of god and if you look closely you'll see that over and over there's been times throughout history of course where the bible and science seem to clash absolutely however we're still exploring and learning about the universe aren't we we don't know it all yet we like to think we do but we don't um so for an example until about eh, five six hundred years ago Scientists thought the earth was flat. But if they'd read the Bible, they would have seen that 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verse 22, wrote that the earth is a sphere, or the NIV states the circle of the earth. Or how about this? Until a few hundred years ago, scientists believed that all the stars were the same. Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 41, Paul writes in the first century, of course, that all the stars are different. How cool is that? So we're still, we're still learning about how this universe works, aren't we? But God knows that. He's made space for that. But it is important to realize that God has a plan and purpose for creation, including a plan and purpose for you. 
It's not random. He always sees the whole picture. Each thing he does is done in order, which is why we can say we're here for such a time as this. Why I always say you are here for such a time as this, because God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has an order. It's intentional. It's not random. God's not random. That That's really, that should bring a lot of peace and comfort. Okay. He's not, he's not random. So here's some questions. Okay. Things to ponder. What difference would it make in my life? If I took these biblical references to creation, starting at Genesis 1-1, seriously, what would change? Or how about this? If God truly has a plan and purpose for creation, what does it say about me? How does that speak into my life? If you feel like you don't have value or you're wondering why you're here, if God has a plan and purpose for creation, what does that say about you? Great thing to journal, great thing to spend time with the Holy Spirit on. You're going to find that he just infuses you with life, with purpose, with meaning at a whole different level than where you're at right now. And of course, that couples with our next question. If God truly cares about the grass and the flowers and the trees, what does this say about his view of me? Another great question to journal. God, you've said that you care about the grass, that you care about the flowers, that you care about the trees. What, what do you see in me? What do you, what do you care about me? And go back and begin to unpack these scriptures. Like I said, I went through a lot of scripture here, more than I normally do, but I'll put it in the notes. Because where we're at with the Lord and how we walk out this crazy thing we call life hinges on what we believe about God and who he is and the power that he has and who we are in him. So all begins with Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. And then it flows from there. So where are you at? What do you believe? And like I said, if you don't agree with this, go back to the word. Just go back and look and test it for yourself. I also want to just put this out there, and I, I could get myself in so much trouble for this. But statistically, for many people, well, just statistically, the higher level of education you have, the more likely you are not to believe in the fullness of the word of God. Within many educational systems in many countries is a desensitizing to the word of God, trying to get us to be more me-centered or trying to get us to focus on a certain type of political system. And we just get hounded with it in class after class after class after class. It's very, very intentional at tearing down the Judeo-Christian values, at tearing down what the Bible says. So that's why I keep saying, go back to the word of God. Let that be your plumb line. Go back to it. Go back to it. Be very careful that you're not just going into what you've been taught in your culture, um, going into religious traditions that may not be based on the word of God. Go back, take these scriptures, write them out, look at them, study them, allow Holy Spirit to speak. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, right now we decree and declare that you are the creator. We just come into alignment with in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And Father, we give you permission to just explode this in front of us that we can understand, that we can truly step into that and begin to grasp the difference that it makes in our lives. So Father, we, we've been immersed in a world system. God, we want to switch that immersion. We want to step out of that and we want to be immersed in your system, God. 
So Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, heart to understand all that you have in the power of the creation and all that you have done. And we just want to praise your name. And Father, even next time we walk outside and we look around, let us see your divine hand. Let us see that intentionality. Father, even when we look in the mirror, let us see your hand, your creative hand, your creative power. And Lord, we will give you the praise and the honor. We will do that. We will give you the praise and the honor. We just look to you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everyone, before you go, I want to make you aware of something. This is for our ladies. We have an annual Pastors Leaders Retreat. It is October 10th to 13th, 2022. It is in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And this is a time really designed for leaders, those who are always taking others on the retreat and ministering to everyone else and don't get a chance to get away themselves. This is for you. You will have time with God. You're going to get some great teaching gear just for those in high level leadership. You're going to build relationship with other leaders. And so it's just really a powerful time to get away, to take some time apart, to grow in the Lord, to get your vessel filled up so that you can continue to pour into others. So again, the dates are October 10 to 13. And you can find all the information on my website. So if you just go to ruthhendrickson.com, go under events, you will see this retreat. Space is limited. We keep it very, very small because we want that intimate, safe, personal connection. So we have a few spaces left. So I wanted to let you know, again, the dates are October 10 to 13th. It's in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And you can find all the information on the website, ruthhendrickson.com. Under events, look for time apart, and I hope to see some of you guys there. Have a great day and God bless. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to comment, like, review, and share it with others to help us reach more people. We also invite you to like and follow Ruth Hendrickson Ministries on Facebook or subscribe to the YouTube channel. We welcome your prayers and financial partnership to make this podcast possible. If you would like to financially support this ministry, please visit our website, ruthhendrickson.org.